All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you play the NHL franchise, you know the voice, you know who he is. This is James Sabalski sitting in right now with Offside. James, how's the day treating you? We're good. We're good. I mean, we're hoping that everything's going to be safe and sound here in our province of British Columbia because things have gone a little sideways, but I feel like the rest of the country has kind of gone that way. I think a lot of Americans have gone that way, so I think we're all kind of in it together. we got to tighten it up. No, we definitely got to tighten it up. And I mean, one way to do that is to stay home and play the uh, newly minted NHL game. And I want to ask you right out of the gate. <laughs> yes. yes, see right there. Perfect. Seamless transition right there. Um, you know, I want to ask you out of the gate. This game here, obviously a little bit different than years past. There need to be more emphasis on, on different things to, to get people's attention and have everybody really into the game. And the commercial, the Mitchell Itsu. Um, you know, how did that come together for you? How do you feel about it? Um, how did you perceive it? Everybody else opened, you know, open arms, especially for the uh, the be a pro career mode. It's something that needed a lot of work, and it feels like they did a lot of tweaks to it. But that commercial was what sold it, and sold the game, in my opinion. So I'm wondering uh, for you. Well, yeah, thanks. I, I mean, it's, I thought you know what. I thought they did a really nice job of, uh, and a really good job in terms of adding it. There's like almost like a viral component and a social media and a very relatable sort of promotional marketing approach to to the game. And you know, I think since I've been involved with with the NHL, uh, VA Sports, it's been. That's the one thing I've heard from a lot of people, right? Hey, be a pro, man. Be a pro. You know, you, yeah, you know. Hey, it's great that you're doing the game, but man, like, be a pro. Just step it up, bro. And it's like, okay, well, that's not really my department. But, you know, I, I will say this. Like, we've got an incredible team that works on the NHL video game. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn here because, you know, I, I'm simply a voice talent for the game. But, you know, the NHL franchise it doesn't deal in the volume of the millions that FIFA and Madden um, that that they have the access to and the resources, right? And but at the same time, like this is a pretty iconic franchise. It's been around for around thirty years, and and there's a reason for that. And it's a dedicated and a very passionate team. And they they've heard it. Like trust me, they've heard the complaints as well about wanting to improve via pro and. And going into NHL 21, that was the emphasis this year, to say, look, we want to be better, we want to do this, we want to nail this, and um, and here's the concept. And they had kind of pitched me on the idea, or at least they had had the, the vision, we want you to kind of be the driver in terms of talk show sort of format, narrative, and, and it'll probably play to your strength, Sabolski, and which, you know, I, I, I do a talk show regularly here in Vancouver for Sportsnet 650, and so... Um, there was an element that kind of just, there was a natural element to just uh, having fun of doing a talk show. And we spent hundreds of hours doing that this year. And, and so I think at times the challenge for me was, you know, trying to sound different enough in a lot of very similar sort of storylines and narratives where I think there's probably somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000 uh, different stories and narratives over the course of your hockey career, right? So when you're playing, you know, whether you're having a good season, whether you're having a bad season, whether it's early in the year, whether it's the middle of the year, um, 
you know, whether it's late in the season. And so these different sort of experiences, um, we kind of try to cover all the bases. And, and I think, I, I mean, is it perfect? I mean, I think I'm my own worst critic, but I feel like we did our best to try to cover all the bases and, and you know, share that storyline and check all the boxes. And, and not only that, but also, um, you know, doing it in a COVID world, right? I mean, we were halfway through production and, and kind of the world shut down for a lot of us, right? And so, you know, the one thing that our team was able to figure out, and, and I'm really proud of, is that we were able to figure out the technology, how to work from home. And I get, like, for a lot of people, you know, you do these Zoom conferences and we do this on the day-to-day. Um, but, you know, we figured it out to, to make sure that we were able to, to have a seamless transition to where, you know, from March until we finished uh, voicing for the game, which was in mid-August, um, a lot of that content was done from home, right? And and with kids with kids running around in the background as well, <laughs> right? That's the other thing where, you know, I, you know, your kids trash-talking you in the background going, damn, the rookie, the rookie. All I hear is you're talking about the rookie and this being promo. So um, we pulled it off somehow. Well, let's take it back to square one. We'll, we'll go um... – Obviously, the voice talent, you know, being a part of that is huge. Now, I want to ask, for you and Ray, obviously, you just mentioned the world shut down, very hard to do things. Now, was it a lot of conversations between you and whoever you're working with? So just say Ray Ferrara for this instance. You know, would you get on a call and say, okay, hey, we're going to run through this kind of script? Or did you guys try to almost unscript it and make it seem more authentic, you know, opposed to just, okay, we want to talk about this, 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 and here's what we're going to say? Or was it just off the top, off the fly, and, you know, you guys played off each other, kind of like you would see on a broadcast? Improv. Uh, improvisation and, and to do it live. And I think one of the great talents, uh, one of the great strengths that Ray Ferraro has, and, and I don't want to speak for Ray, but Ray's tremendous live. And, and Ray's great in the moment, in the pocket. Uh, and I think, I like to think that I'm, I'm, I'm okay at that, too. And... Um, so how we worked was we had a lot of case scenarios to where, um, you know, you run through the scenario and they give you a case and say, okay, it's, it's early in the season. The rookie is playing good. Um, he had a big multi-point night and they lost. And so there's your sort of case scenario that, it's in the year, the team is good, the rookie's really good, the kid just had a big night, and the team's still lost. So you kind of got five sort of points of interest to work from, and where do you go from there? And so now it's on you. And, and so for each sort of case scenario in between, you go anywhere between 20 seconds to up to a minute. Um with that sort of dialogue talking about the player and this, or your fictional player or the player that you have created in the game, whether it's Mitchell Insu or James Sabolski or, you know, whoever that may be. And, you know, so, you know, take it out of a commercial break and so I'll improvise it from my standpoint and say, hey, like, look, it's a night that this kid had, but here's the crazy thing. How do you blow a night like that when a performance like that and you still lose? 
you got to be better defensively, right? So if you know that somebody's had a big pad and stat night, and it's just trying to make it as relatable as possible, and, and I, a lot of that I just draw from my own personal day-to-day experience, right? I mean, you go to social media, if you have a take on Twitter, you know, you may get a lot of people that agree, but there's always going to be people that disagree. So you kind of take some, some of those experiences and, and just kind of make it a little as, as relatable as possible. And I think that's the one thing that I've kind of taken away from some of the reviews that, you know, we tried to make this as organic as possible, whether it's Ray reacting, whether it's some of our callers uh, as part of the show and as part of the experience. Um, yeah, it, it, it all kind of just lent to the energy. Well, that's the next question I want to ask you, the energy. I mean, how do you, not seeing a play, like, you know, even just playing the, the regular call, not seeing a play in front of you, how do you get that energy level going up? And how do you, like, because it sounds authentic, and I love it. I love listening to you when I play the game. I love listening to Ray talk. I mean, some points you hear a few times, but still, it's a great flow to the game. But I always wonder, if you're not watching the game or watching a play, do you put something on? to help you get that energy up, like watching a big goal from someone and just allow that to be something that you bounce off of and say, wow, look at that, or look at the way he scored, or the amazing move, or whatever it is, you know? Do you see something or visualize something or have to watch something, or is it just, I got that energy and that's what I'm going to use? You know, for, for me, and, and thanks very much, it's nice to say, um, I, I would say for, for me, when I went in for my audition, I kind of took a an energetic approach to begin with, and that's generally my approach. Anytime I, I've done live events in the past, I'm kind of a bit of a hype man, probably watching too much wrestling over the years, but um, that's that's just how I've always approached it, and a high energy call. And, and that's I, I think it's important for us to sell the broadcast, right? It's, in those moments, like that game, if you're playing it at that time, that's the biggest game. That's the biggest game in the world for you in that moment, right? Because you're playing it, everything has taken a backseat to the priority if you play the video game. Well, why not make it exciting? Now, from my standpoint, I, I don't draw on anything specific, but I try to go with a high-energy approach. When Ray and I were first kind of brought in together, once we were both hired as, as kind of the broadcast team, you know, one of the things that they kind of shared with us is, Okay, like Sabalski, we know you're gonna. We want you to be the high energy guy that you kind of sold us on. But at the same time, um, you know, I remember they pulled a clip off of Ray uh, off of YouTube uh, breaking down a goal call, and you know the crowd's hot. You could hear the crowd in the background, and Ray's kind of amped up, and he's, you know, he's he's all fired up on a call, and they're like, and they basically said like, we want this. This is the kind of energy we want. And one of the things that the broadcast team and the production team does to help us is for the last two years, they pipe in crowd noise into our ears, into our headset, um, to allow us to try to... It doesn't necessarily mimic a live event feel, but what it does is it forces us to project a little bit more. Now the crowd and can hear the crowd but now it forces you to just kind of bring it up a little more you know what i mean so hey there's yep. almost like hey i'm trying to talk over you so you can hear what i'm saying right now and it creates you to kind of dial in just a little bit more so you know we do our takes and then it's like okay you guys 
right and Q, and boom, the, you know, uh, the audio engineer type in the, the added crowd noise and the ambiance, and then it just gives us a little more uh, energy into the ears that allows for us to kind of to boost our levels to make it sound like we're forced to kind of speak up a little bit more as well. So, yeah, whatever whatever it is, I think I, I'd like to think it's helped so far. No, it definitely... Yeah, talking about that crowd noise, I mean, even if you look at the the games in the bubble this year, having the crowd noise piped in, it did help even fans at home, you know, with the energy, because I think that was something that was lacking, and it helps you draw and get a little energy yourself, I think, anyways, especially when I've talked to a bunch of guys who do, like, the in-house arena announcing and stuff like that, they draw off the crowd, and you don't have that crowd. Well, you listen to players. The players were telling you, you know, it didn't feel right. You didn't have the roar of the, the crowd when you score a goal or the vitriol, you know, and the hate when you score a goal in the other barn. You know, those things weren't there. So, you know, you miss those things. And like you just said, you project a little higher. And you definitely hear that across a broadcast, whether it's Ray or anyone else doing it. Um, I want to ask you, just as a sidebar before I keep going about the, the NHL game, obviously Doc Emmerich stepping away. I'm wondering if you ever had any conversations with him. I mean, he was part of the game at one point. Uh, is it someone you've ever picked the brain of, or not yet? Well, you, you know, for, for me personally, I mean, I love listening to Doc. I mean, in, in the moment, here's the, here's the best thing I can say about Doc. The bigger the game, the better the goal. Right? Like, that, that's the sign of excellence, right? The guy who just settles into a pocket and just gets better, the bigger the moment. And I, I admire Doc so much. I never really had a chance to sit there and break a whole lot of bread. I mean, I think there were games that we both worked over the years, obviously not on the same broadcast team, but we've been working, uh, obviously, sports them for the last several years, and TSN for a number of years before that, and, and as a score, I think there were several different events that we pulled that together, but, you know, never really the opportunity. I uh, really kind of, you know, very, very informal, if anything, conversation. So to, to sit there and say that there was a great piece of advice to take away, I, I don't have that for Doc, but I'll say this. And I was in the process of auditioning and you know, being considered for the role of the NHL video game with EA Sports. I was, it came up that, you know, the production team that Dave Pritchett, who, you know, Dave was phenomenal. Dave having a very honest conversation with me. You know, they were taking a chance on somebody who wasn't a conventional play-by-play guy, and especially if you look at the history of the franchise, you know, Doc Everett, Gary Thorne, Jim Houston, like three iconic play-by-play guys were generations of hockey fans um, of the last 30 years, right? You know, Gary Thorne in the 1990s was essentially the voice of hockey for uh, ESPN and you know, for most Americans. And, you know, Jim Houston has essentially been the lead voice of hockey night in Canada for pretty much the better part of the last 15-plus years. And been a fixture on Canadian hockey podcasts for the last 30. And yeah. Doc Emmerich, same thing for the last 40 years. And so, you know, it was a little bit of a, you know, I'm sure there were more than a few hockey fans that were going, who the hell is James Zimowski? Um, because, you know, I think where you know, some hockey fans might be familiar with me, or at least some sports fans with me over the years from my time, um, you know, I was working at national television for several years. I think I 
established a bit of a profile, but not necessarily as a conventional play-by-play guy. And from an American standpoint, I think most people would be like, who the hell is this guy, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like that scene from Major League, right, when they look at the roster on opening day at the beginning of the movie, like, who are these freaking guys, right? Um, and, and, it was, and it was a conversation to say, hey, look, like, just, just so you know, like, this is something that, you know, we've considered, uh, are you, are you prepared for this? Because social media may not, may not be a big fan of this thing. This going on after Doc Everett, such an iconic voice. And, um, you know, in the back of my mind, I think there was probably a little bit of, there were probably a few butterflies in my stomach going, okay, is everybody going to hate me on this? But, you know, I think the team has given me that solace, um, to say that you know, we believe in you, believe in yourself, and you know, as the game kind of came together uh, in that first year, I think it really kind of, you know, I'm always my biggest critic going, man, I, I wish I did this over a, oh, I don't like the sound of this, I don't like, you know, the way I look on that, um, but it, the team had really kind of made it pop, and I kind of had this moment where I was a third of the way through the production going, this thing was going bad. This sounds freaking cool. Like, if this continues to go the way it seems like, this might be pretty awesome. And, uh, and, and I feel like, you know, through the, through the magic of our editing team and our engineers and our producers, I think they've created something pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I, I think that, I think the, I think the high fives have outweighed the haters for the most part. And so, uh, and, uh, so that's where we're at. And, and so, uh, but Doc is an incredibly iconic voice in hockey. And, like to to have a career like I would say anybody in this business would only dream to have a career like the one that Doc Emerson is a voice in hockey. Like when you were defined as a voice for sport, yeah. you know you've done something right. No, uh, when I think of two names, especially in the booth, I think of Doc Emerson and Bob Cole. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean Bob is that guy for me, right? Yeah, and, but you know Doc, I think I. I and, and I'll say this, like, and this isn't a knock on anybody, but there are a lot of times, like, when, as, as a broadcast, as somebody who lives up here in Canada, um, there were many times, you know, you get the option of, like, the NBC broadcast or, you know, or the Canadian feed, uh, whatever that may be. Like, you know, there are a lot of times, I said, you know, I want to listen to Doc. Well, you know what? I've always likened Doc to, uh, you know, hockey's version of Morgan Freeman. You know, when he does those videos... Like the one he just did, you know, about his retirement. But you listen to him talk, right? It's like you listen to Morgan Freeman over a Visa commercial or even when he voices whatever he's doing. It's the same kind of calming, assertive, knowledgeable voice. And I think, man, you know, I thought about that when I was listening to Doc do that one, the narration on his retirement, you know, where he might go and might come back for special projects and et cetera. And I was like, man, it sounds like something that Morgan Freeman would do. And Doc Emmerich basically is the Morgan Freeman for hockey. He's got that voice. He can tell a story. He can keep you on the edge of your seat, but he's got that tone that just makes you feel calm and relaxed at the same time. And, and brings in just sometimes just a little bit of a vocabulary that just adds an element to where, you know, I think sometimes hockey, we can all be guilty of that boorish sort of, oh, that, <laughs> hockey, that hockey fan is just, you know, just a slight upgrade from a caveman. Yep. <laughs> um, but 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 brought but Doc and, and and this is a long time ago too. Brought Doc brought a cerebral approach to the broadcast beyond just that. You know, and listen, there are some people, and, and I'm probably a little more of the all right. Let's here we go. This is going to be amped. 
cerebral approach to the game and and and, and verbiage. That's the proper. Uh, his, his wording is way better than mine, but that that sort of approach that Doc can bring that you know just every once in a while will drop a word you, you wouldn't expect in a hockey conversation. But he made that okay, and, and you look at the rise. And, I mean, you look at the writers and people that cover the game now. Man, there's some really smart people. And it's not to say that there weren't before, but, you know, you've really learned to think the game and the sport beyond um, the, the conventional element of what it had been for such a long time. No, for sure. Well, to swerve back towards the game that we're talking about, I want to ask, obviously, you know, we were trying to hash this out and figure out when we're going to do this and you mentioned you'd be recording more for the game. Is it something that you guys do all season long, more updates and ads, you know, and fine-tuning? And obviously with the draft being a little different this year, have you guys pumped in those names that have been drafted, like a Marco Rossi or Alexis Lafreniere or, you know, um, you know Justin Barron from the Mooseheads, wondering at all these different names and different things. Do you have to go back and add those, or are they already there pre-recorded? We just did... Um... I think it's funny how we, we've added hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of names uh, over the last two years. And just actually, we did a recording session uh, somewhere in the last two weeks. We, we did about three days of uh, just names. We call it phone book. And it's just a roll call of names. And so it's, you know, I think we probably did about almost 1,500 names each day. And uh, going through the American Hockey League, going through uh, the Canadian Hockey League as well, and just throwing in all these names, right? Because it's not just NHL players anymore. It's, it's you know, teams from the CHL, it's teams from, you know, like the OHL, and the Quebec Major Junior League, Western Hockey League, and the American Hockey League. And I'll tell you, man, like, there was a time when I was a kid that, Sabolski might have might as well have been written in hieroglyphics for some people to look at. And now I look at Sabolski and I feel like that's a walk in the park compared to some of the names out there now. And I, I hope I did. I, I hope I didn't butcher too many of them. But man, like there were some names that you know. And you try to go off of pronunciation guides, but you know, a lot of a lot of times, you know, there there aren't pronunciation guides for certain nope. uh, for certain for certain teams and and where names come from and, and then you, you hope that okay well let's go to the wizard of youtube and see if we can find a goal call or a save or just somebody referencing the, that said individual name um and and if there isn't a point of reference then it's just all right we're going to try to fake it till we make it and just say it with confidence and hope we we get it and and you know getting that name right for somebody like me where I think I was always a little insecure and a little sensitive about people saying my name because, you know, Sabalski, in, you know, as a kid growing up, and, you know, going through elementary school, the early 80s, that teacher kind of kicking your name around. You know, it wasn't a name like Smith or Jones or Thomas. Um, and, and that was one of those things that I think I was always a little, you know, get embarrassed when the teacher was kind of get used to it over time, but I, I think understanding what it's like for other people who kind of had their names kicked around, um, that's something I've tried to be really mindful of for the most part, and I know I'm not going to get everybody's name right, um, but we try to do the best we can. 
can. And I just want to make sure do it justice. And here's the other thing. Every once in a while, there's a name that gets into a game that you just that just gets kicked around. Yeah. And you're just like, like I, I you know, uh, and man, like Gary Thorne, I, I, I always thought he was so good as a, as a broadcaster. Just, a, I'm a big fan. But man, he, I remember him pronouncing that stage stay on yep. years. Yep. And it drove me nuts. It was like, man, like that's a high. Like he plays for the Leafs. Like <laughs> we gotta have that. Like how did somebody miss that in the you know on the production team? This is like what fifteen years before I kind of came to the party, right? Yeah. Like as a, as somebody who played the game, like that was the one that always kind of stuck with me. Like, man, who allowed that to happen, right? So oh, there's a few names where you look at them. In the back of my mind. There's yeah, a few, like, few, and I think about that in the back of my mind. I'm always like, oh, what's what's going to be that name for me? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna preference this pretty easily. I just started doing play by play for the junior B team here, so live calls. And during the live thing, there's a chat bar beside it, and there's a kid named Hooper. I thought it was Hooper Richard, but it's Hooper Richard. But no one would let me know. And midway through the game, this uh, guy's parents are blowing me up saying, no, it's Richard, Richard, like Maurice Richard. You're butchering his name. And I'm wondering for you, has there been anybody who's reached out, whether it's via DM, email, an agent, whatever, and just said, hey, you you butchered his name. Or, you know, this is how you say it. I know you guys may have got it from here, there, or everywhere. Because I know a name that was highly contested was Thomas Caberlet. You know, it was Cabrilla or, you know, there's different ways to say it. So I'm wondering, has anybody ever reached out to you and just said, hey, the way you're saying that is not not how we say it. Just how we say it right here, and and then you got it for the next year. Because you're right, stay on, no. stay for a while. Yeah, it did, it did stay for a while. Uh, nothing. No one's really reached out to me. I got you know what? I got a couple of messages. Uh, I think somebody sent me one about Patrick Wah last somewhere in the last year for NHL 20. It said, "Oh, you got Patrick Wah's name wrong." And, and like, eh, I don't think so, but <laughs> I think they kind of took issue with how I had said it. Now, I will say this, as somebody who grew up in eastern Ontario and where there are a lot, there's a lot of French in addition to, uh, to English, you know, I think, and, and my mom was fully bilingual, so I think the one thing, I would say my French on a good day is pretty muddy, but... My accent for certain words, I feel like my, my accent pronunciation is usually pretty good. And so there are a few times we had, I wouldn't say heated, but I would say that we definitely had some spirited discussion over how to properly say that individual's name. Um, so I would kind of lean more towards the emphasis on, on, the, Frank, uh, on, on the French pronunciation. Uh, where others were kind of like, yeah, you know what, like, so I would be, you know, Patrick Lois, you know, I would say Patrick Lois, right? But they kind of, you know, at times, a couple of producers, um, you know, Danny Lopes, I'm calling you out on this, uh, but Danny, you know, kind of maybe, all right, just North Americanize it a little more and make it more of a wah as opposed to Ottawa. And and there was one that, the one name that we had a um that we agreed to disagree on to for a larger part was Dennis Podman. And so for me, Dennis Podman for me growing up was always Danny Podman. Yep, because Danny. 
it was my mom. It was my mom's next door neighbor when she was a kid, and you know, and from and and Dennis Podman is he's French, like he's Danny Podman, right? So it was always Danny Podman, and, and growing up in Ottawa, that was he was Danny Podman. But you know, Dennis Podman was you know Long Island, New York, right? It, it was Dennis Podman, like he became a the, the name got Americanized. Yeah. Uh, or or anglicized for lack of a better description. So, you know, when I was voicing and we were doing names, and, and I mentioned you know Danny Podbay, I remember Ferraro, who had played with the Islanders, was like, "Who the hell is Danny Podbay?" He goes, "It's Dennis Podbay. If you say Danny Podbay, you're gonna get killed." I'm like, "No, man. Like, it's Danny Podbay. Like, no, it's Dennis Podbay." And so. This was like, it goes, no, oh, man, Rangers fans chant, Potvin sucks, not Potvin sucks. And it's like, well, no, you suck. You know, no, you suck. And um, so that was where Ray and I disagreed on that one. And, and the producers kind of backed Ray on that. So uh, so De- Denny Potvin uh, is Dennis Potvin. Well, I didn't all... like that one. I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted more of the French. But I lost that battle, so uh, <laughs> yeah. point, 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 to Ray, point to Ray and the anglicized Islanders fan. Don't worry. I'm sure you'll get one back over on him. I'm sure that'll happen very one soon. Day. One day. <laughs> you guys got a long one road day. ahead of you, so there'll be a time. There'll be a time. I want to ask you, though, speaking of long roads ahead, I mean, you look at the game. Everything is great with the game. You know, in a time where we cannot physically see the NHL and, you know, have it on our TVs or go to a game or participate in a fan rally, any of that stuff, you know, the game is something that you get an escape from. I want to ask you, uh, James, what do you think about the next season? Is there going to be, you know, a shortened season? Is there going to be a full season? If uh, James Sabalski had to put a bet down, what would you say it'd be? Oh, if I've got to put money on it, I'm going to put money down on a shortened season. And I think they want to get as many games as possible, but you know, they've already lost a month of what a traditional NHL season would look like. So I think that there'll be a condensed schedule. I think they'll try to cram in as many games as possible. But the the reality in this is they want to be done before the Olympics, yep. right? NBC has the Olympics, and, you know, they're going to clear the deck with any sort of programming. So, you know, the Stanley Cup gets lost or the Stanley Cup playoffs get lost. If there's no, you know, if the, you know if the playoffs are on and the Olympics are happening, right? So it's 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 an issue. And so, what does that? Where does it go? What happens? What does it look like? I think that's all uh, a big thing that the NHL is going to have to consider with their with their broadcaster because NBC has the rights for one more season uh, before a new television deal is ultimately reached for, uh, the national hockey league and, and their an American broadcast. But I, what I look at is how do you get, so best case scenario, they're saying January one. And I think you want to probably have your playoffs by April or say mid April. Maybe you can even stretch it to, you know, late April if possible. But, you know, if you're looking at three, four games a week, you know, they like. Let's say they get underway in mid January, and yep. let's say they try to get because of the reduced travel. Because I don't think the borders are going to be opened up by the new year. Um, so you'd be looking at an all Canadian division. 
Oh yeah, I want to ask you about that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say best case scenario, the NHL is gonna get a 60 game schedule. I think that's what they're gonna probably a best case scenario with 60. Well, the other thing I think they really want to get done too is a lot of people don't talk about this factor is you have a Seattle franchise that's sitting in the wings waiting for this season to conclude. And if you stretch that into the summer or whatever, you're making that start date for that team longer as well. A team that's paid big bucks to get involved and be a part of this. And, you know, they need to do the expansion draft. You need to have your regular draft, free agency, all that for Seattle. So, you know, you want to get things concluded so you can get that done and have some clear picture of what your next season will look like with all these guys as well. So I think there's another big proponent there, but the reason why I want to ask you about the All-Canadian Division just a moment here get that out with the magic of editing um, is the All-Canadian Division, you look at it and the fact you just mentioned the NBC deal being up after this season you know, you're going to want those Canadian teams to play in the American markets because they drive some of the numbers sometimes and if you look at some of the games that will happen with you know, all these different divisions, you know, it's not going to be big numbers. It's not, you know, the Buffaloes will draw and your Chicago's and your Boston's. But if you're telling me on a, you know, Tuesday night, you might have a Minnesota versus uh, you throw Columbus game. You know, I, I don't think the numbers are going to be too strong for that broadcast and not, not a knock on the broadcast, but it's just not two marquee teams or even one coming in to play the other. So, you know, you look at that and that could be a huge issue for the NHL because, a lot of these teams and the NHL themselves are banking on a big deal coming out of whatever, you know, they deal with in the States for a broadcast deal. And you want to have the numbers to support that. So I'm hoping the borders are open so you can have that travel and be able to boost those numbers. But the thought as a Canadian hockey fan, we all banty about who the best Canadian team is and all Canadian division. Could you imagine at the end of the season, if it stayed that way, you know, everybody would say, whoever's on top, whether it's Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, you name them, Montreal with all the moves they've made, you know, they would be able to lay claim to the best team in Canada, bar none. Yeah, I think there's bragging rights. And, and here's the reality, right? Rivalries sell. Yep. Right? I mean, rivalries sell. And, you know, heat, you know, and, and when you hate somebody, uh, you want to kick the rat, right? <laughs> and, and I know we think kind of in, in today's day and age, they all hate is a strong word, but you know that's what makes sports great. You know, to have those wild, meaningful games. I think from a Canadian standpoint, we'll love that, right? I mean, I, I look at it here from a Vancouver standpoint. You know, Canucks fans salivating at the idea of more games against the Flames and more games against the Oilers and more Flames against the Leafs and the Habs and the Jets. You know, Ottawa's not quite there yet and they're in a bit of a rebuild, but just it it matters because then there's also the the geographical bragging rights. You know, there isn't that sort of connection with a team like Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, in markets like they, and, and eventually, you know, you, you develop that with rivals, right? You, you match up in the playoffs, and that's how, you know, the Canucks and the, and the Golden Knights had their first best of seven series. Now you've got, now you've got the makings of a potential rivalry between these two teams, and that that's great for for the growth of the sport and, and for teams. But it's where you go for, you know, Boston and New York and Philadelphia and. All these markets in New Jersey that you'll have more opportunities to collide. Like, that's great. Um, 
but yes, you're right. Like the, this will be a short term cure for the winter blahs and, um, you know, but then there's also the risk of, you know, the same teams playing each other too many times year over year over year. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I don't know if it's a perfect solution. I will say this though. I, I welcome the idea of a Canadian division for this particular season because, um, I think it's something that the NHL could use and especially here in this market for a short term fix that, um, this is a team like, Hey, look, you know, the NHL has, you know, up here in this market, like a lot of Canadian teams that have not won in a very long time. Right. I mean, we haven't seen a Canadian team in the Stanley Cup final for that matter since 2011. Yeah. It's been right? a bit. It's been, it's been nine years. We're coming up on 10 years and, um, you know, one one reason or another, but I mean, to draw more Canadian interest to have, hey, look, there's a lot of money being spent by Rogers Communications on the NHL television rights. Um, oh, you know, I think they get more, their more Canadian matchups. They get their bucket yeah, fill if they have the Canadian matchups. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I I agree. I think like I think it's, I think it would be good, and and for a time that's like, look, people need to find a way to to get money as much like to find to maximize their resources and revenues as much as possible at least for this particular year i think if nbc and the national hockey league in the u.s has more opportunities to see uh philadelphia and boston and new york collide and there's more opportunities for montreal and toronto and toronto and vancouver and calgary and montreal to collide I say bring it on this year. I, I welcome it. At well, least this year anyway. Yeah, this year for sure. And I mean, obviously things will probably shake back to the normal way after that. But I want to ask you one last question before I let you go, James. Uh, out of all the teams that made a bunch of moves this year, and we didn't get to touch on Toronto, but I know you're short on time. You look at the Montreal Canadiens, you look what Vancouver's on, Calgary, or you call them the Calgary Canucks if you want. Uh, you look at Toronto, Winnipeg. Who do you think gave themselves the best odds to win the Stanley Cup. I want to ask you to pick a winner who's going to win it, but who gave themselves the best odds to put themselves in a better position to obtain that goal? Just Canadian teams or all over? Just Canadian teams. That's because we're talking about that all-Canadian division, so we'll keep uh, that gear going. I, I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't think... It's, for me, I, it's hard not to think that no team probably helped themselves more than the Montreal Canadiens, Right. I mean, if you think about where this team's conversation, the conversation around this team, uh, you go back six months ago for that matter, yep. right? And obviously it's a big step taken forward by the likes of, um, you know, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, uh, but then they go out in this offseason, what have we said for years about the Habs? They need to get bigger. They need to get stronger. Well, what do you do? You, you go out and you bring in... Uh, Joel Edmondson, who's six foot three. You yeah. know, you sign a, a guy who's a, a sizable, great Stanley Cup winning forward. Uh, you know, with experience. Uh, you know, Tyler Toffoli, right? A guy who's shown the ability to consistently get you twenty goals uh, at least each year, and, and getting him on a decent contract. Um, you know, bringing in Josh Anderson, it's a it's a big price to pay. The, the contract was a little surprising. It's a, it's a gamble. It's know, a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble, but, you know, he's 26, and, you know, the last full season he played, he almost hit 30 goals. And I think the Habs clearly are betting on the fact that they're getting this guy. Um, but, you know, you look at what they've added in the lineup. They've added three bigger bodies. They've brought in two of those guys that have won Stanley Cups. Josh Anderson's the size of a house at six foot four. 
and then not only that, you brought in yourself a legitimate backup goaltender that will spell time for Carey Price. That yep. hey, look, if there's going to be more back to backs this year, you know, Jay, you know, Jake Allen's going to be great. Uh, he'll be perfect in that sort of role—an opportunity to play a third of the season and allow Carey Price to be rested and ready to rock. So you're not playing Carey Price 70 games a year, and he's going to be exhausted by the time playoffs roll around. You know, Carey Price was great. He still is great and should be great for a few more years. Um, let's, let's maximize that body. I don't love that contract, but, <laughs> yeah. you, but, the Habs, but the Habs are built. Like, all of a sudden, you look at the Habs, and it's like, okay, like, they're going for it. Like, yeah. they're taking a shot. And, you know, I like what the Leafs have done. Um, I, you know, they're all low-risk moves in terms of the contracts and the dollars. Uh, you know, Brody helps them. Um you know, I think Freddie Anderson's still a good goaltender, even though, you know, he's had his playoff failings. But, you know, the Leafs should be there. To, at some point, you got to win a round. Yeah, uh, I hope I think so. Canucks, <laughs> I, you know, I think the Canucks, I mean, if they've improved on the back end by adding somebody like Nate, Nate Schmidt. Yeah. Um, they took a step between the pipes with losing Markstrom, but at the same time, Braden Holtby can find his game. Um and you know what? I like what the Oilers have done. Like, you, you look at these Canadian teams, like the Flames, like their biggest need was in goal. They've checked the box on that. Yep. You know, uh, you look at the Oilers, you know, Tyson Berry into that power play. Holy moly. Like, that should be great. Um, well, Tyson and, Berry will definitely get himself an $8 million contract if he plays the way he can with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah. And, and, you know, to find that sort of fit, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, I think a lot, you can make a great case for a lot of the Canadian teams uh, over the last few months. Um, but especially over this last few months, I, I think the Canucks might take a, a little bit of a step back this particular year. But, you know, it's a question of whether the kids are ready to take their game to another level. So um, it'll be fun. But I like what Montreal has done in a big way because I think suddenly you look at this team and the kids are ready to meet the veterans halfway. and that could be a real dangerous team. I, I like. I'll tell you what. That'd be a real dangerous team to have to face off against in the seven-game series when you got the size like Weber and Edmonton on the back end with Petrie, and you got to deal with Price and and the kids look like they're ready for the bright lights in, uh, in these moments in Montreal. No, they do, and uh, you know it pains me as a Leaf fan to say they've come that far, but no, they definitely have. And there's rumblings that they still might sign Ilya Kovalchuk. So. You add that uh, perennial sniper to your lineup as well. He did really well when he was in Montreal. So that's another weapon they could add, and you'll be on the cheap too. So, yeah, watch out for Montreal. I agree with you. Uh, but the best answer is, come on now, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs with Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons oh and, and crew. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, exactly. you got a, you got a hell of a retirement crew you got going there. That's right. Well, I mean, somebody's got to go and do those things, right? <laughs> retirement tour for all the boys. But, James, it's always great to have you on, and you're so gracious with your time. I appreciate it. Um, I look forward to hearing you tonight when I'm playing the game, obviously, and hope everything goes well with you and look forward to having you maybe back on when the season's kicking off. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me again. You stay safe out there, okay? You too as well, my friend. Cheers. All right, brother. So as you heard, ladies and gentlemen, that was James Sabalski. You hear him on the radio in Vancouver for Sportsnet, and you probably hear him every single night when you're playing the NHL game in your ear. That is the man who calls the ones and twos. Absolutely awesome to have James Sabalski on, and this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.